going to talk today about, we're in a series called Kingdom Ways. So we're exploring some ways of following Jesus practically. Today we're going to look at, at this kingdom way of hospitality. So I want you to take a minute around your table to just mention, talk with the people around you. What comes to mind when I say hospitality. If you're embarrassed to do that, you can just think about that yourself for a minute, but I'd love to encourage a little bit of conversation. One minute, go. Hospitality, what comes to mind? Okay, that's awesome. If you can bring your uh, conversations to a close, that would be amazing. Um, so uh, maybe uh, some random things came to mind. I'm not looking for deep theological answers here, by the way. Do you know, Ryan, I'm just watching you. But um, if you want to fire that this way, you can go for it. So hospitality, give me a few. Just welcoming. Awesome. Food. Serving, friends, like it, yep. Sharing your space, great, really good. One more. Enjoyment, enjoyment, brilliant, love that, really, really good. Yeah, amazing, I probably should just stop there, that's pretty good, and go home. Um, It's my sermon in a nutshell. Um, Hospitality... um, uh, is all of that, I think, is beautiful pictures. Some, maybe some, uh, some connotations of hospitality might be like the hospitality industry or, or maybe like cozy, polite tea parties or um, bland or exhilarating conversation. Who knows? Um, or just a general atmosphere of coziness, hospitality, feeling a sense of welcome or a sense of place. Perhaps that's the... That's the sense of uh, the concept of hospitality in our culture. Um, But perhaps hospitality has also lost, maybe has lost, I'll just put it out there as a hypothesis, that it's maybe lost a little bit of of power, or certainly when we begin to engage with this whole idea um, as revealed in the scriptures, in the gospels, in the way of Jesus, I think it comes to life as something a lot more vital, maybe, perhaps, than just that. Those things are all beautiful, intrinsic, and good. But I think sitting within this umbrella of the gospel, we see something essential. In fact, it's at the very, very heart of hospitality, I would contend. I would contend, and this is my uh, thesis, I suppose, that hospitality is a weapon. It's a weapon of, of love. A weapon of love. Um, you've got some scriptures in front of you. You've got apps on your phone. Do you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5? We're going to read a little bit of scripture. Um, I'm going to park that there. Hospitality is a weapon of love. We're going to engage with a little bit of scripture for a few minutes. And then we're going to just flesh out maybe perhaps what um, hospitality means for us as a community. If we are to follow Jesus faithfully into it. Uh, so Matthew five forty three to forty eight in the ESV I'm reading from, but you can if you can follow along. It says Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those you who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm going to turn my phone off. That's not, not good. 
This is this little passage in the, um, in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus basically just launches this crazy idea that perhaps is right at the heart of everything that Jesus was about. It's a bit crazy and it's basically enemy love. It's basically what's going on there. Jesus is saying that we're to love our enemies, which is sort of crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, it's one of the th- crazy things that Jesus says, including... Um, uh, well, others include bless those who, cur- who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who persecute you, love your enemies. It's, it's perhaps not an exaggeration to say it's one of the most maybe volatile or explosive things Jesus says to his, his followers ever, this teaching of enemy love. But it sits within this new ethic of love that Jesus ultimately came to teach his followers and teach us. And it connects with what we're doing today. What you see is three moves in this passage. I'm going to move through it very quickly and they'll come up on the screen. There's the script, there's the cycle, and there's the Jesus way. Okay? The script is verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the, that's the script Jesus was teaching his disciples. Men and women who had lived according to the, the law, given the, like the Pharisees and so on. Um, and although the Old Testament never actually teaches, obviously, hate your enemy, Jesus is capturing, I think, and challenging these perhaps misinterpretations of the law or assumptions of the age or the culture that as an occupied people, as people in the Roman Empire, living under the rule of Caesar, the Jewish people would have had many, many enemies. Many enemies. And so the love your neighbor, hate your enemy script was probably just this, this meme, I suppose, this belief, this worldview, this way of thinking that was deeply embedded in the culture. Um, and Jesus is he's touching on that. He's challenging that. Um, what's, what's the relevance with us to us today? We've, we've, we're now like in the 21st century. We've got this completely sorted, right? We don't have any enemies and our world is at peace. Um, of course, as well, most of us here um, have benefited from having an education, living in, the, in an advanced society, a democratic society. We've risen above those sorts of assumptions, right? That we can, you know, um, hate our enemy. This sort of division into good and bad and in and out and right and wrong and clean and unclean doesn't affect us at all today, surely, right? Um, uh, maybe, we're, maybe we are in need of this wake-up call today, perhaps from Jesus, and start to think about this ethic of love. Um, Because perhaps directly and indirectly, we have been formed or shaped by scripts that would tell us who our enemies are, um, who we're to fear, or who we're to include, or who we are to exclude, what people to love, what people to hate, what people to accept, what people to reject. And sometimes these scripts come to us directly, but sometimes indirectly, you know, through the media or through the culture that we live in in general, through parts of our society, political leaders and all the rest. Sometimes it comes um, directly, as I say, through political leaders in the media, directly loud, clear from the powerful, from those telling us who we should have prejudice is against, fueling our fear and hatred perhaps, or um, some characterization or caricaturing of other people, people that are other than us, that are different from us, even demonization. Who said Jesus wasn't political? So you've heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But the message um, there is this, just look after yourself, you know, just look after yourself. People that look like you, people that have beliefs like you, your family, your community, and anyone who's not 
doesn't look like you, maybe has the same color of skin as you, or the same creed as you, or has a different background from you, you should probably get a little suspicious of that, perhaps even treat that as a threat, perhaps. Perhaps that's one of the scripts, anyway, that we have in our society, even today, in Western Europe. That's part one. Part two, the cycle. 46 to 47, verse 46 to 47. Jesus is just underlining that point that he just made with this riff. He says, by pointing out the vicious cycles. So we had the script and now we have the cycle, 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So Jesus is challenging his followers that are listening to his teaching here. And he's saying, you're, you're doing what everyone else is doing. You've, you've, you've um, absorbed that script and now you're just perpetuating this cycle of simply loving those that love you and not thinking outside of that cycle. Jesus is saying, um, can you not see that that's a cycle that needs broken? That's what he's implying here. You know, everybody loves their friends. Everybody loves people that are like them, I guess. Those people um, that are just like you who, are agree, who, who, who agree with you. But what about the other? What about the stranger, the outcast, or the, the alien, the neighbor? People that are different from you. There's another parable in scripture that talks about this in the form of the Good Samaritan. We've heard of the Good Samaritan. Hopefully most of us have heard of the Good Samaritan. Well, in the Good Samaritan, Jesus, he talks about that cycle in the, in the story of the Good Samaritan too. Because he drives home and he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's the story of, of a Jewish man lying by the side of the road, half dead. And there's three people that walk past. And the, two, the first two people just pass by on the other side and don't help. But then there's a Samaritan and he comes by. And of course, the Samaritans were often framed as those that were different from the Jewish folk. They were the enemy or they were other. And it's the Samaritan, in fact, that stops, stops and saves the man's life, puts him back together, takes him to a local inn and funds his recovery. And then Jesus turns after he's told the Good Samaritan parable to those listening to the parable. Jesus turns and says, so then, who is your neighbor? And so there's Jesus again trying to redefine, trying to break the cycle. Um, They are your neighbor. He's really saying this, stop just sticking to your own. Break the cycle. Usher in this kingdom of God. We're keeping to your own and only loving those who love you is not enough. Break the cycle. We see that also in another part of Scripture where Jesus breaks, encourages his followers to break the cycle when it comes to forgiveness by turning the other cheek. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek to him also. And if anyone would, would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go two miles with him. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So again, breaking the cycle. Don't return violence with violence. Turn the other cheek. Break the cycle. Do not hate those who hate you. Break the cycle. Do not only love those that love you. Break the cycle. Do not resist uh, the one who is evil. Turn the other cheek. They don't have your cloak. Go the extra mile. It's the same in the passage that we started with today. The enemy love bit that we were talking about a minute ago. 
Jesus is pointing out the script, getting his followers to examine this cycle that happens where you're stuck in this loop and he's breaking it. I suppose that's the work of a true prophet. And then there's the third part of the part of the passage, which we're going to call the Jesus way. So we've had the script, we've had the cycle, now we have the Jesus way. How do we break the cycle? Well, Jesus makes his last move, his third move in the passage. And this the solution, the kingdom way, the transformative conduct of people that might follow Jesus. He says this in verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus is not encouraging any kind of passivity on this issue, you know. Quite the opposite, he's encouraging action and he's encouraging the action of love. The action of love. The action of love that will break the cycle. This is the big idea, I suppose, of the ethic of Jesus, the ethic of love. To break the cycles in our society, the big one that we all keep coming back to in Jesus' teaching is love. What breaks the cycle? How do we do this? Love. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Love. You've heard something different, but I say love is the way. So, what has this got to do with hospitality? What has this got to do with the, the bit that we were talking about at the beginning? This whole piece around love, loving your enemies. Well, as I've said, I want to contend to you that hospitality is a weapon of this kind of love that we have to use, that Jesus calls us to use. It's a weapon of love that breaks and shatters those cycles that humanity gets stuck in. And it's at the heart of this crazy teaching about enemy love that really what Jesus is getting at when he is teaching that is how we might do relationship with other human beings, which is not at all a thing that we're trying to figure out at the moment in any shape or form in any realm of our society, right? And throughout the Old and the New Testament, the scriptures constantly call us to renegotiate, rethink, reimagine our relationship with other human beings. In fact, the certain trajectory throughout the scripture, the movement is um, that we can describe, uh, sorry, uh, to embrace a certain trajectory of movement in our relationships with other human beings. And that trajectory is this. It is a trajectory of strangers becoming friends. It's a trajectory of strangers becoming friends. It's a trajectory of hostility becoming hospitality. That is the theme throughout the scriptures. When we have become sensitive to the contours of the hostility that divide us as people in our society, when we're aware of those, we can start to identify the lines and we can start to move beyond those lines into hospitality. Making strangers friends. The German word for hospitality is, I'm not going to pronounce it, but it actually means friend, or sorry, it means friendship for the guest. Friendship for the guest. And the Dutch word for it means the freedom of the guest. Which, although this might reflect that Dutch people find freedom more important than friendship, it actually defines hospitality as something to offer friendship without binding, without the binding of the guest, where there's a freedom, there's a space 
We've already had that answer. There's a space created. Let me just read this from Henry Nowen. If you really want to dig into this topic, I really recommend a book called Reaching Out by Henry Nowen. Um, But let me read this. Hospitality then, therefore, means primarily the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. It's not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom, not disturbed by dividing lines. It's not to lead our neighbor into a corner where there are no alternatives left, but to wide open spectrum of options for choice and commitment. It's not an educated intimidation with good books, good stories, and good works, but it's the liberation of fearful hearts. Hospitality, he's still talking about hospitality, by the way. The liberation of fearful hearts. It sounds like a weapon of love. So that, w- that words can find roots and bear ample fruit. It is not a method of making our God and our way into the criteria of happiness, but it's open the opening of an opportunity for others to find their God and their way. The paradox of hospitality is that it wants to create emptiness. Not an emptiness that's fearful, but a friendly emptiness where strangers can enter and discover themselves as created free. Free to sing their own songs. Free to speak their own languages. Dance their own dances. Free also to leave and follow their own vocations. Hospitality is not a subtle invitation to adopt the lifestyle of the host, but the gift of a chance for the guest to find his own. It's beautiful, isn't it? I absolutely love it. There's a lot to meditate on there. What an amazing vision for hospitality. A free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend. It feels totally appropriate for right now. And it's it's found in an ancient scripture called the Gospel of Matthew. All over scriptures, in fact, amazing. Through gives a good example of this attitude. Uh, this weapon of love that breaks down barriers and creates space for freedom. He just describes it as this. I would not have anyone adopt my mode of living on on any account. For beside that, before he has fairly learned it, I may have found out another for myself. I desire that there may be as many different persons in the world as possible. But I would have each one be very careful to find out and pursue his own way. Not his father's or his mother's or his neighbor's instead. There's this idea that everyone, that diversity is, is, is a beautiful thing. Like everyone is different and has their own walk, their own walk to walk, their own story to tell, their own journey to go on. We simply, as the followers of Jesus, attend to the work of creating safe space for barriers to be broken down, for friendships to blossom, for understanding to be exchanged. And perhaps only then truly can strangers become friends and we can truly love our neighbor. 
Let me just read some, some quotes from Rosaria Butterfield. This is a, from a, a beautiful book uh, on hospitality. Um, I know Karis Wiley is reading this at the minute. Um, Radically ordinary hospitality is this. I don't think it's only this, but using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. Another quote, all around you people hunger for the covenant of God to include them. Living out radically ordinary Christian hospitality means knowing that your relationship with others must be as strong as your words. The balance cannot tip here. Having strong words and a weak relationship with your neighbor is violent. Captures the violent carelessness of our social media-infused age. That is not how neighbors talk with each other. That is not how image bearers of God relate to one another. Radically ordinary hospitality values the time it takes to invest in relationships, build bridges, repent of sins, reconcile. Bridge building and remaking friendships cannot be rushed. Some beautiful things there. Some beautiful thoughts. Last week, Jason um, Miller was preaching with us and he shared um, uh, just at the beginning of his, his talk. I'd really encourage you to go online to listen to it on our podcast. Um, we do have a podcast, actually, if you, for those of you who maybe aren't aware of that. Um, on our website, you can get that. But um, he, he shared, Jason's from a city in uh, Indiana called South Bend, and he shared at the beginning of his talk this passion that he has for his city. It's a city of 100,000 people called South Bend. But as he did that, well, I don't know about you guys if you were in the room, but I was evoked in my spirit, with a love for the city that I find myself in, the particular time, the particular place that, we, that I find myself in, this city of Belfast. And uh, Jason, his, his, he was, I was particularly struck by Jason's assertion and encouragement to us that the reason that he knows God loves Belfast is that Redeemer Central is here. Like we're here, like we're breathing. Like you can touch us, feel us. There's money flowing out of the place to feed people. And it's not like this is the only expression of the kingdom of God or the only way that God loves Belfast. But it's one small but beautiful part of a whole of what God's already doing here. So if you wonder, just look around at the good things that are happening in our city. If you need reminded, does God love this city? And he encouraged us to think about it that way, that God actually loves cities, not just individuals, not just people as a collection of people, but he loves cities. So Belfast is a divided city, right? It needs the walls of division to come down and hostility to come down. It needs that trajectory of love to move from hostility perhaps to hospitality. We have a, a saying here that you might see around the building which says, build gardens, not walls. It's the idea of 
uh, that's the whole idea of, of what I'm talking about this morning, to tear down the walls of division and to instead foster safe places where we can actually engage with those that are different from us, the other, and extend the love of Jesus to them. Belfast is not only a divided city, but it's a wounded city. It's a city wounded, and it's in need of a healing balm to minister to those wounds. Belfast is a forgotten city, a little bit at times too, and it needs a love with no conditions. Belfast is a city of strangers, like every city in a sense, but a city of strangers that might become friends and family if space is created for belonging to truly take place. So, Redeemer Central, we're called to a particular kind of love for our city that's not abstract, but it is located. And where God revealed his love through a body, through a person, through Jesus, where love was enfleshed and embodied and walked among us in Christ, so we, Redeemer, are to enflesh and embody the love of God for our society today. There is nothing more concrete than a meal, nothing more disarming than a table, nothing more loving than radical welcome and acceptance, where guards can be set down and where fellow human beings can authentically be themselves. And perhaps then in the 21st century, in what I would contend is a world of estrangement, particularly in the West, and alienation, perhaps, Redeemer, we can not only recover a spirit of generosity, like we preached about a few weeks ago, not only recover a spirit of compassion, like Dan preached a couple of weeks ago, but that we can recover a spirit of hospitality as well that can provide perhaps this new dimension or mode that we move in where healing can happen. A reimagination of community, relationship, belonging. And this is the, the, the most important thing. Tables are really important and meals are really important. We love talking about tables. But hospitality is not just simply the meal. It's not just simply receiving folk into your home. It's a practice of receiving the stranger and it describes a posture, a posture of one's life toward fellow human beings with a particular cadence, particular resonance to it, which is love. It's the posture of love. I'd love you to put your your hands out like this. I'd love you to turn them like this, facing up. And then just slowly, maybe you can even look at your own, ha- your own hand, you've got clenched fists. Just begin to open your hands like this. If I was to de- describe the series that we're in, you can put your hands down there. In the last three, four weeks, I probably would have retitled it as, not kingdom ways, but just open. Because I think generosity is open hands. You're not holding on to your stuff. You move through life like this, not like this. I think compassion is open hearts. You don't close in, but you have an open heart that is 
willing to receive all the good and the ill, the, the bad, the encouragement, the disappointments, but it's open. You're alive, you're feeling. I think hospitality looks like open lives. So your your life, there's a posture of open. I think that's the, the kingdom of Jesus. I think it's open. I think it's open. And I think that's the trajectory that he is calling us into. From hostility to hospitality. From closed to open. Just this week, at the beginning of this week, I was asked three times, sounds like the start of a joke, by a social activist, a journalist, and a minister. What's Redeemer all about? And how are you going to do what you want to do? What's, what's, what's the story? What's Redeemer all about? And it's a question that perhaps you think about, perhaps you don't, but I'm sort of paid to think about it. I'm always thinking about what is Redeemer and what we're doing? How is it going to work? I also do it because I really like the question and like the community. And uh, I thought about it like this. I thought about it like this. It's the way we've been expressing like what we're all about really is, is just in these two metaphors, tables and gardens. You've heard of that talked about perhaps around Redeemer. Tables, literally <clears throat> physical tables, but also our, our gathering points basically. It's a, it's a word that describes the practice where we gather on Sunday in our homes, uh, you know, uh, any kind of gathering that we have. It doesn't have to be just the literal table groups that we're part of, but any kind of gathering, tables, where we all are welcome, feel a sense of belonging, that we're there, and we're family. And then there's gardens. Gardens are places where things grow, where there's life, and where there is fertility, and where there is life, and where there is reproduction, and where there is color, and it's, an, it's, it's a way of thinking about what we as a community do and are about. We gather around our tables, we connect with one another, but we tend to gardens in our city. We tend to gardens through lots of different ways that we practice, I think, hospitality, practice this way of Jesus and love. Let me give you two, two examples of that. I think we do. Family matinee, yesterday we had a family matinee gathering. It's a beautiful monthly cinema for free for families. That's a beautiful gathering point, I suppose, but it's a, it's, 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 a, it's a garden that we are planting where the very thing we've been talking about today, hospitality, can take place, where people who are just completely different can come together. And if it's not diverse, then we've got work to do, you know? And we want to see that grow because gardens grow. We want to see it to be a place of life. It's attractive that people want to come to it, that people can come. And in gardens, you often find streams and water. And we, of course, want people to encounter Jesus. But family matinee, we, we had a quote from some uh, one who came. I think this person was an asylum seeker refugee last year. And it was a very simple quote, a feed, bit of feedback that they gave to one of the leaders. They just said, the family matinee, this place... 101, it's like the safest place in the city for me right now because the city feels hostile. Like there's, you're just not sure, it's hostile. But when I come here, I don't feel hostile. There's hostility, I feel like there's welcome. I feel like there's a place where I can be. And I think it's a beautiful, I think that's all that, I think that's all that family matinee needs to be. Because I think it's profound. I think it's profound. 
I also believe, I also, I also uh, know that the act, it's been described, I can't remember the person that, that quoted it, I was reading this week, the act of listening is perhaps the highest, one of the highest bandwidths of hospitality because you're actually creating space for someone not just to be, but actually to then tell their story and in telling their story to you, they actually encounter their own story again afresh themselves. And so when New Belfast and Jude Hill and Emma Wood and the team created this event that they do every month or two called Lesser Heard, which is about storytelling, they're practicing hospitality. They practiced hospitality two weeks ago downstairs to an ex-hunger striker who served in the Maze prison, who sat alongside on a stool being interviewed by the widow of a murdered prison officer, an ex-hunger striker, the widow of a murdered prison officer in the same space. And Jude wonderfully interviewed them and it was following the documentary Guardians of the Flame and I really encourage you when that comes out to catch the documentary because it also is a beautiful exploration of these themes that we're talking about today of the way of Jesus and building society and tearing down walls it's a beautiful simple thing that we're doing that I think is hospitality to, to, to create space where stories can be told where people's perspective can be listened to where we don't even have to agree, but there's some kind of sacred holy space where we come together and we're heard and we're seen and we're welcomed. Since uh, getting married in October, Beth and I have been trying to make the, the house that we live in a home, you know, and we bought a big table and it's great. We can get people around it and we've been slowly trying to have family and friends around that table and it's been one of the most life-giving things that we've done actually as a couple. Um, and but it was actually when we were putting up a fence recently. We were putting up a fence, um, so we were building a wall around, <laughs> around our yard. Um, sometimes it's wise to build fences, not walls. Um, uh, we reflected on the fact that you know often is we can live so separately from our neighbours, just literally our neighbours that live right beside us, and we were just absolutely as guilty and of that. You know we come home from work, we pull up the car, we go in, we cook. We have lots of stuff going on during the week and sometimes we don't actually engage in meaningful ways with our actual neighbours. So we were thinking about this and we were thinking about how much we'd been enjoying practising you know, some hospitality to our friends, you know, the people that love us, like the script that Jesus done really, you know. And that's beautiful and, and we need that, absolutely need that in our family as well. But we figured we'd got to do a little bit more and so we put our heads together and this is this is the small thing but then there was there's a friend of ours called Kerry. Kerry's here at the back as well and her housemate and Kerry lives in the street beside us and we thought why don't we just try and do something very simple. Um, why don't we do something simple in our street that might help us you know just get to know our neighbours. So um, there's this thing called the big lunch. You heard about that? It's like a UK wide street party initiative that you can sign up to for free, gives you a load of ideas, gives you like leaflets and invitations that you can, so we just went on there and we downloaded the pack or whatever and we filled out some invitations and it's actually this Saturday coming and it's a small way, I hope, there might be just four of us there, there might be 40, I don't know, but we're going to put some tables out in our street, we're going to make some tea and coffee, we're going to bring brunch, 
we're going to sit, we're going to practice table in our street. And I hope that it's just a place where we see one another, hear one another, connect with one another, but in a sort of meaningful way, perhaps just a little bit more than perhaps we've done before. And believe me, we're just learning this, so we do not have this together at all. We're just taking our first steps, I suppose. Yeah, it was Henry Nowen that said, listening is one of the highest forms of hospitality. Healers are hosts who patiently and carefully listen to the story of suffering strangers. I'd love to invite the band up, um, and I'd love to just transition us into the table um, of Jesus that we get to come to today. Um, Maybe you want to stand to your feet as the guys get ready. ethic of love that we've been talking about today, the same love that hospitality helps bring into the world, I believe, is the gospel of Jesus. And this love does not correlate to people groups, as I've been saying, or political power. It transcends walls and borders, and it refuses the scripts and the cycles of suspicion or enemy-making it refuses to demonize those who are different. It refuses to label and judge, to determine who's in or who's out, who's worthy of love and who's not, who's better or who's worse, who's righteous or unrighteous. And so it's the cross of Jesus, the Christ, that is the great act of hospitality, the hospitality of God, because we as people had become a faded reflection of the divine that he intended us to be. We had become strangers and he made us friends through the cross of Christ. The greatest act of enemy love, the greatest act of reconciliation, the greatest act of creating space for grace. And so this table behind me is what we practice every week in Eucharist, the bread and the wine. It's a way of remembering Christ. It's also a way of proclaiming Christ. It's also a way of experiencing Christ and his reality. Because he is here with us. He is here in some way when we break bread and drink wine. He is present. So there is grace at this table. And if you are here today and you need a taste of grace, if you feel an estrangement from your creator, the divine, or from one another, if you feel an alienation or a loneliness, if you feel a lack of love and you need a sense of belonging, come to the table. Come to the table. It is an altar of grace for us today. You are welcome. You can encounter Christ here, even for the first time. I'm going to hand it over to to Connor and the guys. I'm going to finish with just this quote from Rachel Held Evans who sadly passed away a few weeks ago. She said this, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they're rich or worthy or good, but because they're hungry and they said, yes, let's come to the table and taste of grace today.